Good morning, everyone. My name is Jeff Pruitt. I'm the uh, Centerpoint student director here. And a couple weeks ago, Danny asked me to come and uh, share uh, a message with you guys. And so I gladly um, took that opportunity. And as he was talking to me, he said, now this is the week after uh, Pastor Philip finishes the EGR series. So you have the opportunity to either, you know, continue that series for one more week, or you can just go ahead and do something, you know, different, whatever you want to do. And so um, I quickly said, I'll just continue the series. Um, not really thinking about it. And then, you know, I went away and a few minutes later, I was thinking like, why in the world did I say that? And the reason I thought that was because complete honesty here, I am really horrible at dealing with difficult people. And probably you guys can say, hey man, yeah, probably some of you guys would say the same thing. I'm really bad about it. I'm a pastor, and still for me, it's incredibly difficult to deal with difficult people. And so uh, what I decided was I would just go ahead and do it, and um, decided that I would just pray that God would you, you know, speak to me about this so that I can, you can then speak through me to, uh, to our church, and maybe I can give some kind of truth and some kind of personal touch to this idea of dealing with difficult people. And so, you know, God spoke to me about why I have a difficult time dealing with difficult people. And so uh, that's what I want to share with you guys this morning, and I think it will apply to all of us. And so here's the first thing that I realized for me, and maybe it's the same for you, maybe it's the not, not the same, but this is what I realized for me, but I generalized it on here to make it more general. You know, it doesn't hurt as much if you generalize it. And so this is what I put, that, that dealing with difficult people well is really more about the want to than the how to. Think about that for a moment. For me, when someone, something comes into my life that is difficult or a situation someone brings to me, I usually know the how-to, right? I usually know what is required of me, what they're expecting of me, what I need to do, and yet here's the reality. I just do not want to do it. And so regardless of how many, you know, steps of dealing with difficult people I may have in my mind, regardless of the, the plan that may get put into me, and I say, oh, if I do this, this person will help them. If I do this, this will help them. This will help them. I just don't want to do it. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about the, high t the how to instead of the, I'm sorry, the want to instead of the how to. And in order to do that, I want to uh, use a little illustration here that we're going to keep going back to uh, this morning. And this is probably a good um, illustration of your life and mine as well. And so I want to share this with you and maybe you connect with it. So all of us, we have people in our life, right? And those people in our life, they have different needs. And we as believers in Christ, as followers of Jesus, we know that, that Jesus has commanded us, he expects us to help meet the needs of the people that are in our life. And so first I'm going to put out some different people that represent some needs in our life. So if you have a child, maybe a child is, is one of your needs. It is definitely one of your needs, right? Uh, maybe you have a second child, so your, checking, your second child uh, is another one. Uh, maybe you have a third child, you didn't figure out how children come to be, and so you had a third child. Um, maybe you're like my wife and I, and you have a fourth child, and maybe you're absolutely insane like Pastor Philip, and you have five children, right? But whatever it is, we'll use these four as our, as our children. This represents their life. This represents the needs that they have in their life that need to be filled, okay? Let's see, who else do we have in our life? Uh, maybe you have a friend in your life, right? Maybe you have that one friend that has a little more needs than your other friends, right? 
Uh, maybe you have a, a sibling in your life, a brother or a sister, a parent. Maybe you take care of your parents a lot, and so there's a lot of needs there. A neighbor. Anybody have any neighbors that, oh, my goodness, just needy neighbors? Yeah, there you go. All right. Yep. And then maybe coworkers or bosses or whoever it is in your job that you have some needs there. You have people in their life who have needs that you are constantly trying to help and trying to deal with. All right, let's see. Is there any more? Uh, yeah, I've got one more just so you don't have to think it or say it. Mother-in-law, right? Mother-in-law needs. So there's another one. Um, we're not going to put that one in the front. Let's not do that. All right. But here we go. So this, this is, represents the people in our lives and, and their needs and, and their need for them to be filled. Okay? And then, of course, we have, we have ourselves. So this is me. And so I have sand in here to represent, you know, my ability to fill people's needs. This really, this is my want to, right? Like this is the desire and the passion in my heart to fill people's needs. And so since it's not as much about how to as it is about want to, when I want to meet someone's needs, I will meet their need because I usually know how to. And so let's decide that, you know, we, we have children to say, where's child one? I've lost it. Child one, here, I lost my child. Child one, they, need, they have a need. Child two, let's say they have a need. Child three, they have a need. And for us, child four, they have a need. Let's say one of my friends has a need, and I, and I fill that up, and I start to meet these needs. And what happens very, very quickly, maybe this happens in your life as well, you start to realize that you get really, really empty. Like your want to is gone. Like the want to is empty. It's broken. It's, it's not there. And so we have these needs that we've met, but we really haven't fully met them at all. We've just done a little bit. And before long, we realize we just don't want to do it anymore. Maybe you're different than that. Maybe you decide, well, I'm going to come up with a plan. I'm going to come up with a plan to help meet the needs of the people that are in my life. And so maybe this represents you. Maybe this is you with a plan. This is me with a plan. And so I have a little more, right? Like since I have a plan, it's less effort because of that plan. So maybe my want to, my desire lasts a little bit longer. And so we go back to it and we start filling up child one. All right, this child just got called into the principal's office. Let's throw that in there. This child just got a bad grade on their test. This child just hit their other child. This child, um, this child is potty training right now, right? No, I'm just kidding. But, um, but so, so pretty, as you can see, even this won't fill up all of the needs of the people that are in your life. And so if you're like me, uh, you are probably feeling somewhat empty in your life, or at times you're going to feel that emptiness. Your want to is going to wane. It's going to be broken. You're just like, yeah, I know what to do for this person. I know how to meet that need, but I just don't want to. And so what I want to talk about this morning is just the how to want to, right? The how to have a better ability to want to do these things. And I'm going to kind of go a counterintuitive way, something that you wouldn't really think about usually when it comes to that. And this is what it is, that one of the biggest obstacles to having the want to is actually honesty with ourselves, because here's the reality. We all lie to ourselves a whole lot. One of my favorite pastors, he writes books, named, his name's Paul Tripp, and uh, he says that we are all professional self-swindlers. And what he means by that is we all have perfected the act of lying to ourselves about almost everything. And so we go through the day lying to ourselves all the time. Now, there's some things that I lie to myself about. One of them is, and I'll go ahead, I'll just admit it to all you guys, I cannot sing 
at all. Horrible, horrible singer. And for long periods in my life, I lied to myself about that. Like, I just haven't practiced enough. Like, like, I can get it. I just need to practice a little more. If I'm around all my friends that can sing, and I went to a school that had an arts program at, in college, <clears throat> and a lot of my good friends could sing. And so, you know, we'd get around in a circle, and we'd sing a little bit. And so I would, you know, say, I can, I can do this. I can do this. And so, you know, this is the progression was. At first, I'd just kind of nod my head along. And then I'd start to hum inside of my, my mind. Then I'd get a little bit louder. Then I'd start to just sing really quietly. And then I, when I got the full confidence, the full lie, I bought into that lie that I can sing, I would belt it out. And you know what I learned in that? This is what I learned. That if you have a friend that can sing, and you're singing beside them, and they do this, that means you probably can't sing either. I learned that very clearly because every time I'd belt it out, my friends would, you know, because they, they, they wanted to hear it themselves because I was so, so horrible. But we don't, we lie about much more serious things than that. Like for me, for instance, like I uh, like to pretend that I'm a pretty good Christian, right? Like we all do that. Like we pretend that we've got this faith thing figured out. We pretend that we're pretty self-sufficient when it comes to living for Jesus, and we, we do that every single day. We, we lie to ourselves about the fact that we're following Christ really closely when, you know, we're really not. So I like to think that I'm a pretty good Christian, that, that I'm better than the most. But then I, when the moments when I really can be honest with myself, I realize I'm just as selfish as everyone else. I'm just as needy as everyone else. I have just as much ignorance as everyone else. I do just as many stupid things as everyone else. And so I buy into this lie of someone that I'm really not when I'm really a different way. And that's going to affect how we're able to deal with difficult people. And I want to show you guys that this morning. And so we're going to go to Ephesians 2. If you have your Bibles, if you have your apps, whatever you have uh, to access God's Word, go to Ephesians 2. And so we're going to look at Paul speaking to Ephesians, the Ephesians. Now the Ephesian church was a church that dealt with a whole lot of difficult people. All of the churches in the New Testament dealt with a lot of difficult people. Ephesus, for example, was a metropolitan area. It was huge. It was booming, had huge commerce. But there was also this huge magical cult there. So it was full of magic and rich craft. And, and they were called as Ephesians to go and, and minister to these people, to share the gospel with these people, to, to love on them the way that Jesus loved the church. And they were supposed to go and do this, but it was extremely, extremely difficult for them. Because the people were so different than them, and they didn't really know what to do. And so Paul is writing to this church in Ephesus, telling them how to be stronger believers, telling them how to live out their faith in an area full of difficult people. So what we're going to do is we're going to work through Ephesians 2 a little bit, and I'm going to share a couple of ways that Paul is teaching them to be honest with themselves. And in them being more honest with themselves, realizing how much they need, just like the other people need, they'll begin to realize how much grace has been instilled into their life so that they can be honest about how they can deal with other people. So that's where we're going. I'm going to jump right into Ephesians 2, verse 1. This is where we're going to start. This is what God is saying through Paul. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So the key word here is you. 
In case you can't see that, let's see. The key word here is you. Like Paul is saying to, to this church at Ephesus that let's start by looking at yourself. You're asking the questions, how do I live amongst these people? How can I, you know, deal with all of these difficult people? How can I interact with all these people? And Paul says, wait, before we even talk about that, let's take a step back and let's talk about you. And what does he say about you? He says, hey, recognize who you really are who you really were, where you have come from, and what you really need. He's saying like you were dead in your sins. You were following the ways of this world. You were actually following the, the spirits of the ruler of this earth, which is Satan. You were following in the footsteps of the same thing that everyone else that you're trying to deal with is following in. And so what Paul is saying is the first thing you need to be honest with yourself about is this fact right here, that, that I am EGR. Like, I am the one who needs extra grace. Before you even can begin to deal with other people who may need extra grace, before you can even deal with difficult people, you need to realize first that you are one of the difficult people. You are one of the people who needs this extra grace. You you, not them. Let's talk first about you. Why is this so important, and what does this really have to do with, with giving love to people who are difficult? Well, let me give you a little formula, because, you know, a lot of Christianity isn't formulas. It's, you know, it's a journey with Christ, become, getting to know someone better. Like, you don't approach a friendship with someone and say, all right, here's our formula for becoming really good friends. If we do this, this, it's not. It just kind of grows organically, right? And the same thing with your relationship with Jesus. But I think this does have a formula, and this is what the formula is, and I'll explain it. Big need equals big grace equals big love. So this is what I'm talking about here. Grace is this thing that God gives to us. It's, it's everything that God provides for us in this world to live, to love people, to know Jesus, to follow him. And God's grace is a big grace. It's an overabounding grace. It's a flourishing grace. It, it says in Scripture, it's like a, a spring of overflowing living water inside of us. Like God's grace knows no bounds, and he wants to give it extravagantly to us. But the reality is some of us seem to experience God's grace more than other people. Don't they? Like if you think about your life, think about your friends, maybe your, your family, whoever there is, like there's this this reality in our lives that some people experience grace to a greater degree than we experience. Some people may experience it to a lesser degree than we experience. So that's why this formula is the way it is, because what happens is, depending on our understanding of our need of grace, depending on our heart, the depths of our heart, how much we really believe that we are in need of grace, to that extent we're going to experience God's grace. And so when Paul was saying, hey, this is who you were. You were dead in your sins. You were following the ways of this world. What he's saying is you had a huge need, church, at Ephesus. You had just as big a need as every other person who was in this city. And so if you realize how big your need is, then you're going to experience how big God's grace is. And if you experience how big God's grace is, God in his big grace is going to empower you to show big love to other people, especially people who are difficult. And so if this, if this formula is true, then the opposite is true as well, right? Little need equals little grace equals little love. 
And so Paul is saying the opposite as well, that if you live your life very independently, very self-reliantly, that you never really spend time pondering how amazing God's grace is, how much you need his grace in your life, you're going to kind of walk this path of self-sufficiency. And you're going to need little, feel like you need little grace in your life. And because of that, you're going to experience little grace in your life. And because God's grace is so small and minute in your life, you're only going to be able to love people in a very, very little and very, very small way. And so you're not going to be able to deal with difficult people very well because your want to is going to dry up really, really quick, right? So that's the first thing that we can recognize this morning, a way that we can be honest with ourselves. I am EGR. I need a whole lot of grace from God in my life to sustain my life. Every single day, it's important. Here's the next thing. Verse 3, this is what Paul says. All of us also lived among them, talking about the non-believers, talking about the difficult people, at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So this is what he says. All of us also lived among them at one time, just like the rest, just like everyone We were by nature deserving of the exact same wrath that is going on them. We had the exact same difficulties. And so this leads to the next point, that they are no different than me. We have to be honest with ourselves. When we look out and and when we talk about the difficult people in our life, when we think about the, the EGR people, the folks who need extra grace, if we can realize that we are the ones who need extra grace just like they do, then we can realize that we're all in the same boat and that they are no different than we are. You know, I like to think of this as like, you know, God looks down on us, and sometimes I think of it as, I don't know uh, how many kids you have experienced in your life, but when kids get together, they love to compare. Have you noticed that? Like, they love to compare, like, our kids do this, like, which drawing is the most beautiful? And they'll argue about which one's better. Well, mine has a more pretty petal. Well, mine has a better flower. Well, mine is more color, you know, and they'll argue about it. Or, you know, out, who can jump on the trampoline the highest? Or in our family, who can do the best gymnastics moves? And, and it's, it's all these, like, competitions that are going on in our, in our kids. And, you know, I sit back, and I'm watching this, and I'm like, none of y'all are really that good. <laughs> right? Like, if we're, I mean, honestly, all of your drawings aren't that great. Like, none of you are the smartest. Like, none of you are really jumping. You don't want to see jumping high. Let me get on there and jump on that trampoline, right? Like, no, but you're not really jumping. You're not, you're not, you're comparing yourselves to each other about who is the best, who is the greatest, who is the furthest along. And I'm looking down as a dad, somebody much older than them, and saying, you're all have the same needs. You're all in the same boat. None of you are really that great. Just get over it, Right? And sometimes I feel like God may be looking down on us, watching us in this rat race of society, trying to be self-sustaining and trying to, you know, move ourselves along and, and kind of puff our chests up and show how big and great we are and try to compare ourselves to other people and all that. He's looking down and saying, you guys just don't get it. You're all in the same boat. You all have the same amount of needs. You all demand extra grace from me. I'm willing to give it to you, but realize you all are in need, and you're very needy, very hopeless, very helpless in your own state without me. So quit the comparing. 
Quit the trying to do it on your own. Quit trying to be self-sustaining and realize how much of a need you actually have because you have the same needs that these difficult people in your life have. And so here's the next thing that Paul goes on to say. Oh, let me do this first. So difficult people are more like me than not like me. That's the big point here. So now Ephesians continues on, and Paul kind of switches gears here. And uh, one of the things I've always wanted to do, and I haven't really had the courage to do, do it yet, is I want to do a series that's called The Biggest Butts in the Bible. Like, that would be fun, because here's the deal. Like, if you, if you ever read Scripture, like, there's this thing that happened in Scripture where, where God, through a writer, will give bad news that's just like, oh, man, that's sad. That's, that's depressing. And then he'll insert the word but, and then he'll give good news. And you're like, oh, because of this bad news, wow, this is amazing. And this is one of those biggest buts in the Bible right here. Because think about what Paul just said. He just said, hey, guys, Ephesians, you guys were dead in your sin. You guys were hopeless. You guys were helpless. You guys were incredibly difficult. You had a whole lot not going for you. You were in a bad situation. But, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So the big words here, but God did it. God made us alive with Christ. God raised us up and seated us with him in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressing his kindness to us in Christ Jesus, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So again, by grace you have been saved. That extra grace, that incredibly large amount of grace each and every one needs because we were dead in our sin, because we were by nature children of wrath, because we were following the ways of this world. By grace you have been saved. And he says, it is the gift of of God, which means very simply this, that Jesus paid it all. Everything in our lives is a result of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross and what Jesus continues to do in our life as he showers grace upon grace upon grace on us. And I like to think of it this way, like, have you ever had a gift before that you misused or that you took for granted and, and then you, um, then it, got broken or lost or messed up and then you were like mad that it happened this happens with our kids all the time like they'll get a gift and lauren and i usually know my wife and i we know that this gift is not going to last very long like you see it and you're like oh that's a great gift for the next two days because it's going to get broken right because it's a gift that my kids are going to use the wrong way they're going to use it the wrong way then it's going to break and they're going they're to be upset and they're going to be mad because it got broken and we're like you didn't use it the right way. Of course it's broken. I feel like that with our salvation sometimes, with grace sometimes. Like God paid, God, God, Jesus paid it all. God gave us this gift. We take it for granted. And because we take it for granted, we lose the power of it in our lives. And then we get mad at God because he's not working in our life. And God the whole time is saying, you took it for granted. You broke it. You messed it up. If you would be honest with yourself and realize what's really going on, you can really experience what grace is all about. I like to think of it this way as well. Like Jesus paid it all, so what we need to do is we need to pay it forward. You guys know the idea of pay it forward. Like I think of, when I think of pay it forward, I think of Starbucks and Chick-fil-A. 
Because at Starbucks and Chick-fil-A, you probably have heard of this, there's this phenomenon that happens where a bunch of cars will pay for the meals of the people behind them or the coffee of the people behind them. So somebody will come up to the drive-thru and they'll pay for theirs and they'll say, hey, I also want to pay for, um, for the person behind me. And so the Chick-fil-A version is, I'm going to pay for the person behind me and will you tell them God bless you? That's the Chick-fil-A version. The Starbucks doesn't have that version. But, um, so then the next person comes up, the next person comes up and um, pays, realizes that they've been paid for and usually what happens is they pay for the next person, Right? And then it goes down along the line, somebody pays for the next, oh, somebody paid for me, let me pay for them. Somebody paid for me, let me pay for the next person. I've read before in a, a news article where it's gone to where there was over 200 cars before paying down the line for the next person because someone had paid the gift for them and they were paying it forward. And so when I read that article, of course, the first thing I thought was, how incredibly horrible must that last person be, right? How incredibly ungrateful can you be to be the last person in that line and decide, oh, thank you, and then just drive off and not pay for the person behind you, right? But the reality is we kind of treat our faith that way, don't we? Like we treat the grace that God has, has gifted us with, the, the payment that Jesus has made for us. Like we, we, we like to hoard it for ourselves. And if you're going back over here, you know, we, we get this grace from, from God. We get this grace from Jesus in our lives. That's too much. And so, so we go up to the drive-thru, so to speak. We accept Christ into our lives. God bestows this grace upon us in a relationship with him, and this is what we look like, and we're just like the car, the last car in line for the pay it forward. You know, we put the cap on it, and we say, no, I don't, I don't want to have to deal with all these people. I don't want to pay it forward. This is, this is my grace. This is my salvation. This is my love. This is my forgiveness. Don't make me have to give that to other people, Right? And so we do that, and so we'll say, you know, I, I worship Jesus. I'm so close to, to God. I spend so much time with him, and we are so tight. It's wonderful. Me and him are great. But then there's all these people with needs, all these difficult people right over here. And we're like, well, maybe if they figured out how to love Jesus the way I did, maybe they wouldn't have all those needs. And God's looking down saying, no, this gift was given to you so you can give it to other people. Like you are supposed to be overflowing and this that's in here that you're holding on to, that you're keeping a cap on, is there so that you can overflow into other people, so that you can give other people grace just the way that I've given you grace. But we take his gift for granted. And what happens when we do that is we don't experience God's grace the way we should, and then we get mad at God because we feel so far from him like he's left us. And he's like, you took it for granted. You didn't pay it forward. You didn't, the gift was given so that you can give. You didn't give, so you're not experiencing the gift that was given. We've got to pay it forward because he paid it all. And then here's the last thing that, that Paul says. We're going to look at verse 10 and then verse 19 through 22. <clears throat> Paul says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. And these are the two verses I want to focus on. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. So what Paul is saying here is that, that we as a people, we're a building that is being joined together and rising to become a holy temple. 
We are building together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So Paul is, now he's kind of getting a big picture and saying, hey, realize something here, guys. You, along with the apostles, along with the prophets of the Old Testament, along with all of the people of God, you are a dwelling for God. You are a temple. Just like in the Old Testament, Solomon, Solomon built a temple for God's presence to dwell in. And now we are that temple. And so what he is saying is we have to build the temple. We must build it together. So that person in your life who is in need, that difficult person, they're a part of this temple. They're a part of this building unto God. We have got to build together. We must do it. You know, one time I built something. I built a cottage for my kids. I like to dabble in a little bit of, you know, woodwork and stuff. I'm not that great. And I uh, decided to build a cottage for them. <clears throat> it was a pretty nice cottage. It was like an 8 by 8 pallet size cottage. And it's in our backyard, and they play with it and everything. And um, so I got the plans out. I bought some plans online and was watching it and looking at it and noticed everything that I needed to do. And so what happens is if you're ever building something like big, like a, like a, a shelter or some kind of building, if you guys probably know the most important thing is the foundation. Yes, it's the foundation. So this is what I was doing. I was looking at it. I was reading through. And it, you know, the first thing you do is you excavate some of the land. You um, put uh, some, some, some wood um, planks in there. And then you put some gravel for, for um, drainage and all that. And so it was to make sure that that foundation was strong, that it was you know, waterproof, that, that rain and drainage wasn't going to mess with it. And that was the foundation. And I was looking at these, these uh, directions. And I looked out at my yard and I said, eh. My yard's pretty flat. And so I decided, eh, I'm not going to do this foundation the way that, that it says. And so I, I neglected some of those pieces. And so sure enough, I built the, the cottage, a nice cottage, beautiful cottage. Um, but it was straight up and down, like it was perfect. Like, man, it's got some nice symmetry. It's like a square and, or whatever it is. And it was just like that. And then the rain came. And it was kind of like that. And the rain came, and it was a little bit more like that. And so now I go out there, and it's still standing, it's still usable, it's not that bad, but I go out there, and I look down where the foundation should have been, and I mean, the, the bottom part of the, the base of the house, I mean, it's down like that much into the ground because of the rain and the drainage, it's just sinking, and it's sinking more and more, it's sinking, it's sinking. And that was just an object lesson for me that, you know, the strong, the building is only as strong as the weakest part of the building, Right? Like, that foundation is the weakest part of that cottage I made for them. And it's going to one day, if I left it there for the next, you know, 20, 25 years, sink probably all the way into the ground. I don't know. But it's, it's weak at that point, and that makes the building weak because of that spot in the cottage. And it's no different when we build together as a church, as a body of believers, the weakest spot as a building, as a temple, is going to be the weakest point of our temple. And our temple is only going to be as strong as the weakest part of that building. But here's the catch. What you're probably thinking right now is, yeah, those, the EGR people in my life, those, those difficult people, they're, they're pretty weak. They, they have some weaknesses. They, they, they bring down the building and the temple. I've got to build them up. But here's the reality. That, th those people are not the weakest part of the body of Christ. Those people are not the part that is weak in the building. The part that is weak in the building are those of us who've experienced God's grace, have experienced the gift, have been given the gift so that we can give the gift to others. And yet we've put a cap on it. And we've said, I'm going to keep this for myself. 
I'm not going to pay it forward. I'm not going to be an instrument of the grace that I have been a recipient of. And God's saying, if that is your heart, if that is where you are, you are the weakest link. You've got to realize that what we are building as a church, as a body of believers, is we go and we give the grace to the difficult people because we are difficult people ourselves and we've been given the grace by God. So here's what I believe. Here's, here's, this is how I think this works. This one, we're going to close out with this. Let's do this. Let's put this back here. Sorry, guys. No. All right. So, for many of us, this might be you. You may say, I, I don't have a plan. I have a clue. People come to me, and, man, my want to is just broken, and I just, I just can't do anything. Or maybe you do have a plan. Maybe you're, you're like this, and the plan helps you, you know, help certain people, but still you, you want to, you know, you, you kind of give up at times. Your want to gets broken. Your desire gets away. And the reason I think this is because I don't think these are labeled correctly. You guys see over there? All right. I don't think these are labeled correctly. And the reason I don't think it is labeled correctly is because of what we've just read. Because of this idea that big need equals big grace. And with big grace, we are able to love people in a big way. So what I really believe is this isn't, this isn't me without a plan. This is me with no need. This is me being self-sufficient. This is me trying to do it on my own. This is me going through my life day in and day out with no knowledge or, 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 or um, like vision of God or no reality of God in my life. This is me waking up, figuring out what I'm going to do for the day, going to work, coming home, spending some time with my family, going to bed, not having a quiet time with God, not realizing what's going on in my life, saying I can do it on my own, joining in the rat race, being self-dependent and self-sufficient, and just trying to make life happen me by myself. That's really what that is. And this one, it's a little better, right? But this really is, li- is little need. This is, this is me, and I get up, and I may have a quiet time every once in a while. This is me, and every once in a while I have a difficult time in my life, and I realize I need some extra grace from God. And at that time, those times in my life, I get a little bit closer to God. He, dra- he brings me to my knees at that point, and God fills me with this, with this grace. You could call this a grace tank, if you will. Fills me with this grace, this want to, because he has done that for me. And yet then I'll forget about him. Then I'll kind of move on. Then I'll jump back into self-dependent mode, self-sufficiency mode. I can do it on my own mode. And so this is the little need. This is the little need. I believe there's another, another place. It's this one. It's, it's the big need, right? It's the big need. Like so, so here you realize your dependence on God is not something that just comes when you're in difficult times. Your dependence on God isn't just something that you express on Sunday morning. Your, your, your dependence on God isn't just something that comes here and there. It's a daily dependence. Day in and day out, you realize your need. You realize like everything that's going on in your life is a grace of God, a gift of God that sustains you. And you don't just realize it, you love it. And you're drawn to it and you decide, I am going to depend on that more than anything else. And there's one other thing, one other piece I want to add to this. And it's because of four, five words that I read in verse 7. And it's this right here. I'm going to go past this. That the incomparable riches of his grace are expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So when God, when Paul is explaining what God's grace looks like, these are the words he uses, the incomparable riches of his grace. And so those five words make me realize something. 
that there's something even more important than all of this, and it's this right here. That God's storehouse of grace is never ending. That like if I really wanted to represent God's grace up here, I couldn't do it because it would, the, the sand would fill this entire building, fill this entire property. It would be overly abundant. Like I couldn't even like see the end and the beginning of it because it would be so much. And the great news about God's grace is God is a giver. He's always been a giver and he will always be a giver. And so God's grace is here for us to access that experiential God's grace in our lives if we will depend on him. And so what happens is when we come to God daily, we experience his grace. When we come to worship on Sunday morning, instead of just sitting back and kind of watching, we sing the songs, we think about the songs, we love the songs, we get involved, we experience God's grace even more. When we go back to God the next day, we experience God's grace even more. Maybe when we mess up, we do something really, really stupid. Instead of trying to, you know, be a lawyer for ourselves and explain it away and blame someone else and figure out, tell everybody exactly why it happened and it wasn't your fault. Instead, we go to God and we confess our sin and say, God, I screwed up. God, I messed up. I need more of your grace. And we experience God's grace even more. And then the difficult trials come into our life. And instead of trying to figure them out on our own and trying to puff ourselves up so that we can get through, we come to God again. And we experience more of his grace. And then we go to our home group. Instead of just sitting in our home group, kind of sitting back, relaxing, watching, just enjoying what's going on, but not really getting involved, we get more involved. We start studying the scripture. We start talking about it. We start praying with the folks in our home group. We start getting to know them really well. And through them, God gives us even more grace. And pretty soon before long, this grace tank, this want to, this desire to show the grace and to pay it forward is filled up in our life. And you can do a whole lot more when you know that big need you have and experience the grace of God in this way than if you're here trying to do it on your own. And then what happens, of course, as you guys know, is people have needs, right? People have needs. And so you start to pour it out again. So you start to give grace. You start to, to love on people, the difficult people in your life, whoever it may be. You start to have be stretched by God to do things maybe you've never done before. And you start to empty out again, don't you? Some of you may be here. Some of you may be in this big need area, but you're empty right now. You, your want to is broken. You're just done. You just, I can't do it anymore. And what you have to do is constantly go back to God because he's always there to refill. He's always there to give. He's always there to, to figure this out in your heart so that you can have more grace and more love to give. And then you have more to give to other people. So as we close out this morning, there's just one kind of one question. This, this is the personal application question that I came up with as I was thinking about this for my own life. As I said at the beginning, I'm not good at dealing with difficult people. Because, not because I don't know how to, because I don't want to. And I realized for my life that this is the reason I don't want to. Because I get into self-sufficiency mode so quickly self-dependent mode so quickly that I've got it together lie so quickly and so I don't have room in my heart and in my mind for God's grace to empower me to live through me I'm not experiencing God's grace daily in a way that allows me to pay it forward to other people and so here's the final question ask this for yourself why don't I want to think about that why don't I want 
to deal with the difficult people in my life? Why don't I want to meet the needs of others? Why don't I want to give what I have been given? And it probably will go back to this formula, right? The answer may be because this represents you. The answer may be because you're in self-dependent mode, self-sufficient mode. You're doing it on your own. You accepted Christ when you were younger. Maybe you never have really known Jesus, and you're right here. You've got it together. Yeah, he gave me salvation, but I got everything else. And so your need is so small, your experience of grace is even smaller, and there's no love for others. Maybe this is you. Maybe there's times that you come to God. But you've kind of forgotten. You've kind of moved on. It comes and goes, and there's not a good You can't say, yeah, I am daily understanding my need for Jesus, and I'm constantly coming back to him in every situation in my life. And this may be you, and so maybe you're empty right now. Ideally, we can get to this place where every single day we realize how much grace we need. Like daily, this gets emptied in our life. A lot of times it may not be loving people. It may just be dumb things that we do. It may be just whatever it is, every day this is getting empty. We need a refilling every single day of our lives. And there's only one place to get our grace tanks, our want to, our passion for Jesus and loving other people refilled. It's in the incomparable riches of his grace. That's the only place that we can go. And if we go there, we can be here and we can be refilled consistently and constantly so that we can love other people. And so why don't I want to? I don't want to because I have a problem with feeling like I have a little need for God's grace. And because of that little need that I feel, that experience of his grace is really little. And the power to love others because of that is really small. And so my prayer for me this morning is that I could experience God's grace in a bigger way because I realize how much I need it. That when Paul writes in Ephesians 2 that you were dead in your sin, you were living in the ways of this world, you were hopeless, you were helpless, but God, but God gave us his son, but God daily sustains you. I can realize how much dependence I really have on God so that I can experience his grace and then show love in the way that God intends it. And I pray that for you guys as well. So let's pray together as we close out this morning. God, we thank you for your big grace. We thank you that Jesus came 2,000 years ago. He died on the cross for us to give us access to something that we could have never earned on our own. God, we're hopeless and we're helpless without your grace in our lives. And I pray that we wouldn't be self-swindlers anymore. We wouldn't lie to ourselves about being able to do it on our own. I pray we would recognize how big our need really is. Because it's only in that spot, only in that recognition that we can experience truly how big your grace is. And God, when your big grace shines into our hearts and into our lives, it changes us so that we can love other people in a big, big way. And that's just not a one-time transaction, Jesus. We have to come back to you every day, recognizing our need, recognizing our dependence on you. So God, I pray we can love others well, we can deal with difficult people in our lives well, not out of our own power, not out of our own will or our own plans, but because we want to, because you have given us 
the ability through your grace. And I pray these things in your son's name. Amen.